I got very upset because I was on set this weekend and the girls that were doing our hair and makeup, they're like 22. And they were talking about how they're going to all these clubs and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, where are they going? That's to clubs? what I said. Was I was in like, a suburb. Well, that's what I was thinking. But no, there's one in the city that's open. They were showing me videos of them at the club. No one had a mask on. The bottle girls were pouring alcohol into people's mouths. Oh, acting- they, no, they were sanitizing people's mouths. So that's oh, fine. Okay. Acting like it was 2019. I was. I had to walk away from the conversation. I was so upset. I'm just saying, if I gargle Grey Goose, then I could make out with strangers. I saw this meme. I saw this meme that said the CDC says that fully vaccinated people can spit in each other's mouths. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Finally. That's honestly the only thing I've missed is spitting in other people's mouths randomly. I didn't wait for the vaccination to do that. Oh, Manny, you're you're playing hard and fast with the (laughs) rules. That's all I'm going to say. Little mouse spit never hurt anybody. Uh, God. <laughs> uh, for all you guys know at home, she actually just spit in my mouth. No one knows the difference. He liked it. Uh, 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 welcome back, everybody, <laughs> <laughs> to another episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Uh, I'm not going to reveal she actually spit in my mouth. I think you guys should know the answer to that one by now. It's yes. Uh <laughs> My name is Kashan Bachelor. And my name is Nina Kern. And we started off today <laughs> talking about Germany. Germany, the Deutschland. Um, they've probably won some Sprechen Eurovision. Nine. Oh. Got it. So today we are talking, we're, t- we're going international again. International. Inter- international in the sense that the entirety of this scam mostly takes place in another country. Uh, so we talked about Volkswagen earlier this season. And while, yes, Volkswagen is a German-based company, most of what we talked about was in America because they were going against American regulations. But today, Mm -hmm. we're talking about a German company that went against German regulations and is our first return to the international white-collar market since our Michelle Sindona episodes all the way back in the first season. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. So, um, to set the scene a little bit, the date is June 18th, 2020. And the world is in the grips of a terror known as COVID-19, and the effects of the pandemic were just beginning to be speculated about. But for Jan Marsalek, this was somehow the least of his worries. He was just fired, but the difference between Nina getting fired from her butcher shop position and Jan Marsalek is that Jan was fired after the police raided their headquarters, this time in Munich, of the corporation which he worked for, Wirecard. Jan climbed his way from a 19-year-old with no degrees to becoming the COO of one of the 30 largest valued companies in Germany. But there was something sinister going on inside of the corporate giant, and the house of cards was falling in. Newly fired, with the police sure to be knocking on his door any minute, Jan packed his bags and took one more look around his Munich apartment before slipping through the door to become one of the most wanted white-collar fugitives in the world. I wonder what an apartment in Munich looks like. I wonder how big they are. So it's like an apartment in America, but the outside is Munich. Mm. You know? No, I just wonder how big they are. Because in Japan, the apartments are very small. Yeah, well, the people are small in Japan, too. So. Wow, that was racist. Okay. No, it's not. It's statistically true. The old people are. The young people are not as short. The average height for both men and women compared to America in Asian countries is two inches less. That's not that much. It's statistically significant. It's 5'8 for men and 5'4 uh, for women. And in America, it's 5'6 and 5'10, respectively. Okay, it's not that much, though. They're not like 4'1. I'm not saying they're little people. I'm saying they're smaller. 
<laughs> so if the areas they live in are smaller, that makes a little bit of sense. Well, they also have a shit ton of people on one little tiny island that's like the size of California. That's racist. What? <laughs> no, I was just giving you a taste of your own medicine. You wouldn't know. Uh, you don't know geography. Shut up. <laughs> I thought for a second you were going to say you don't know Jesus, and I was like, what an attack. <laughs> no, you don't know ge- geography. You don't, uh, you're right. I don't know either, though, so that makes sense. Okay, anyways. So, Wirecard. Um, in the beginning. Wirecard was founded in a Munich suburb in 1999 as an online financial intermediary for payment processing, which is a lot of words I realized after I wrote that sentence. So basically what they did is they facilitated online transactions between merchants and banks, withdrawing the money from the purchaser's account, routing it to the merchant's. Uh, which seems obvious to us now. I think we take advantage of this. But in 1999, Amazon still only sold books. So, come on. I forgot they only sold books. They were an online book retailer. Yeah. Before this. You know, then that was new. They were like, you can buy books online. Everything is topsy-turvy in these internet days. Yeah. That's a quote a la someone from 1999. Barnes & Noble was in trouble. Barnes & Noble at this point was probably like thriving. Yeah, they were. They were killing it. Yeah. The bookstore. And they were like, fuck, books can be online. No. Ah. (laughs) So they started off strong uh, in fintech uh, because it was an extremely new and almost unheard of uh, branch of technology. And fintech just stands for financial technology, which I didn't know because fintech is also the name for a payment processor for um, alcohol distributors, which we oh, use interesting. at work, so I was very confused. Uh, but literally, it's just a term for financial technology and is a movement away from traditional cash-based banking systems uh, to an online format where all transactions are uh, processed digitally. Okay. So Wirecard uh, had a future uh, envisioned where of a cashless society. That was their thing. They wanted no one to use cash at all. They wanted you to pay everything with smartwatches, like not even your phone, like just with your watch everywhere you go, mm-hmm. which is now kind of a reality. I mean, I yeah. I have NFC payment on my watch that I can pay for things, even if I don't have my phone. Yeah, I mean, I have Apple Pay yeah. on my phone. Most everyone does nowadays. So we kind of got there. Uh, they just kind of weren't here to see it. We'll find out why. Um, so at the end of the dot-com bubble in 2002... Uh, the company found themselves in hot water uh, as the stock market and tech companies obviously came to a screeching halt as what the dot-com bubble was. So enter one doctor, Marcus Brown, uh, who assisted the company financially buying 7% of the company and taking over as its CEO. It's a lot of the company to just buy. Yeah. Well, at this point, obviously, tech companies were fucking worthless. Right. Because of the the stock market crash of the dot-com bubble. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't as expensive as what it's going to be, obviously. Right. But yeah, definitely not a uh, easy acquisition. Like we couldn't do it. Not, <laughs> We're no. not rich enough. I don't have any money. I don't have any money. Uh, no money, honey. Uh, but he helped the company uh, not only stay alive, but he molded it into a thriving business by taking that online uh, payment processing and focusing that on two big areas of the internet that were neglected, online gambling sites and pornography. Yeah, devil's playground. So remember, the next time you go to re-up your browser's subscription, you might be dealing with 
wire card. So they invested uh, all of their time and effort into porn and gambling sites. And porn is a large part of the internet and probably one of the uh, largest silent money markets in the world. Like the things that make the most money that we just don't talk about it because it's taboo. Mm -hmm. It's like porn and drugs, right? Absolutely. The two things that just have a ridiculous amount of money being funneled into them every year. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just try to forget about. So they were doing well for themselves. Uh, And in 2004... Wirecard entered the fray as a publicly traded company when they were acquired by a company called Infogenie AG, a Berlin-based company who was, they were a defunct telephone advice hotline service that was basically worthless, but they agreed to acquire, in quotation marks, uh, Wirecard to get them publicly traded through something called a reverse takeover. I've heard of that company, Infogenie. Oh, maybe I'm thinking the genies, like the cranes. Wait, what? Oh, yes. the We use those in theater. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. I don't of. know. Infogenie, now that you mention it, does it kind of sound familiar. familiar. They were in literally like it was like an advice hotline you'd call. In like cha-cha? Asked, kind of, which we talked about. Yeah, we the, did. In the text for scandal, which is kind of fun. I completely forgot about. Um, but what is a reverse takeover? I can see mm-hmm. Nina questioning in her eyes. I don't know, actually. <laughs> a reverse takeover is when an already publicly traded company acquires another company, but really it's the other company acquiring them. Like the other company is the bigger one. Okay. But they're getting acquired by the public the company. The smaller company? Yeah. Okay. Because now if you do that, you become, become incorporated, public. you become public without having to go through getting oh, a public listing. Got it. And all the rigmarole of actually doing that because it's hard and it's a lengthy process. So you just have this happen. It's called a reverse takeover. Um, And then part of this means that they were listed in the prime standard segment of the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. And what this is is that in Germany, they have a uh, version of a stock listing, which is the prime standard, where you agree to higher transparency standards than the general standard, which usually increases your your funding. Because if you're more transparent, people are more likely to invest with you because they have more trust in you. Yeah. As a company. So with public funding, Wirecard began to expand at a rapid rate, acquiring many smaller payment transaction companies throughout Asia and even moved into the North American sector when they purchased the prepaid credit card services from Citigroup in 2016. Uh, And they did this in many other markets around the world. And they also, by doing this, moved into the banking sector. They started um, issuing their own credit cards, which is a pretty big move. So not only were they doing that online uh, payment processing, but they were also doing banking as well, which um, I don't mention this later, but I'm going to throw it in now. This is what purposely muddies how hard it is to look at their financials. Okay. Because the fact they're doing two very separate things under the same umbrella. Mm-hmm. So the, you think they'd be similar, but they're really not. Like this, like payment processing is commission-based most of the time. Like you just get a fee on top of it. And then the whole thing about credit and issuing credit cards is a whole different monster. But they're put together on the same books because they do everything singularly. Okay. A lot of companies will split these into two separate companies and have them report separately because of this. Uh-huh. But they which didn't. makes sense. They didn't. So it kind of muddies everything, which is going to lead to a lot of stuff later. Do you feel like they did that on purpose? Maybe. Okay. I mean, because here's the thing. Uh, the the scandals and stuff we're going to talk about started as early as 2008 is when the first kind of whistleblower thing came out. But like something might be wrong okay. with what they're doing on their books. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe hmm. they might have known, but no one ever admitted to it. But this right. is still an ongoing thing. So we don't even know. Ah. Interesting. Um, so in 2009, uh, Marcus Brown 
even change the official operating language of the company to English in order to dedicate themselves to their international mindset. Even though half of the employees didn't speak English and he's just started talking in English from then on out and they didn't know oh what he was God. saying most of the time. This is like when my Spanish teacher decided she was tired of us not understanding Spanish and just started teaching class in Spanish. See, Very they're, counterproductive. They're not supposed to do that to like, I think Spanish three and four is supposed to be taught in only Spanish, but like one and two is just like, I mean, I don't speak Spanish yet. That's yeah, the point of this. I didn't. All right. And then, so because of this international expansion and them making English the main operating language of the company or whatever, they did start to expand. Like I said, they bought a bunch in the Asian markets. And a young man by the name of Jan Marsalek, who was an Austrian-born uh, kid when they hired him. He was 19 years old. Uh, and they hired him because of his knowledge on WAP systems, which is wireless application protocol systems. Um, but it, I will always call it a WAP system, so it's a wet-ass pussy system. I was just going to say a WAP. Uh, Marcelik was mm, very, uh, very in deep in them WAP systems. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, he, Most people are deep in those WAP systems. Oh, my God. Um, but he went all the way to be the chief operating officer, and they put him in charge of the entire Asian branch of the company. So all, oh, wow. all of the companies in, a- in Asia were... No, he was a little bit older. Oh, okay. But still in his like mid, like mid-20s. mid That seems like a lot they, of responsibility. They hired him in like 2002, and this is maybe like 2008. So it's like six years later. All right. He was like 25. Um, he was, you know, really good at what he did, obviously. Um so they put him in charge of all of the Asian, in charge of the Asian branch of the company, which became the largest area of their business, providing more than half of their revenue. Wow! And they started in Europe, and you know they they became kind of well known in Europe, but their Asian market was like half. It was a lot, um, and all of this led to Wirecard taking a spot on the DAX. And what the DAX is is the list of the thirty most profitable publicly traded companies. In Germany, it's like the S and P five hundred. How we have five hundred of the most the most profitable. Well, Germany only has thirty, and they're on the DAX. Hmm. Um, well, they're much smaller. Yes, and in twenty eighteen, they hit their peak market capitalization, valued at twenty four billion euros. Damn, which is something like I mean, I think a euro was worth like one point two five dollars. So yeah, it's a little, something like that. So it's a little bit more to me, like twenty eight thirty billion. Yeah, American dollars. A lot of money, though. Uh, so things were riding high for the execs at Wirecard, but cracks were already showing in the foundation of this company that had grown so much, so fast. A plethora of accusations were coming to a head, and soon the Goliath would fall. Dun, dun, dun. So this next part is just all of the bad stuff they did, because there's one major one. Mm-hmm. They did a lot, though, okay. through their whole time. Basically, the entire empire was set up on lies. It was kind of like... You sit on a throne of lies! I don't remember what that's from, but... I don't know. Something about a throne of lies is from something. Wow. What an apt description (laughs) of where that came from. You know this thing? Well, it had to do with the thing and the thing, so yeah. Yeah, you should know what I'm talking about. That was the the same amount of definition that you gave to yours. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Firstly, in 2015, some people at the Financial Times a well-known daily newspaper on business and economic affairs, got wind from an anonymous tipster that something is going on at Wirecard, and they took a look into their public balance sheets to see 
what's what. Now, in the course of their uh, private investigation, they found a 250 million euro gap in their accounting, which is equal to three times their yearly profit. And then they, <laughs> so they're making like, it's like, like a lot. Yes. And, and they were just like, we don't know like where this, like where it went. So they contacted a, a private auditing company to look into it, and that private auditing company is Ernst & Young, also referred to as EY. That's kind of their branding is just EY. Um, who, after an independent audit of the company, declared everything to be A-OK somehow. I know someone who is getting a job there. At Ernst & Young? Mm-hmm. Well, now you can tell them this story, and it's very fun. Um, and then Ernst & Young would become the external auditor for Wirecard for the rest of their tenure. So basically, they got reported to saying, like, something is wrong with this company. They looked into it. They're like, no, it's fine. And then uh, fucking Wirecard is like, this is our auditor. <laughs> You're doing it from now on. Oh, damn. Um, kind of. Uh, it's like that TikTok sound that's going around. I'm picking up really Real sketch vibes. vibes. Uh, <laughs> I hate that I know that. <laughs> TikTok isn't even cringy anymore. It's so popular that it's not even cringy. Everyone uh, does it. It's still sometimes kind of cringy. You know, someone told me the other day, they're like, you're on straight TikTok. And I was like, I I know that that's an insult. Yeah, but is it bussin'? I don't know. Sheesh. I don't understand that. <laughs> I don't know. The people do it. Sheesh. I don't get it. I don't, me either. We're, wow, we're getting old. We're just doing the trends, but no idea what they mean. <sighs> Mortality is. I dabbed. No one saw me, but I dabbed. <laughs> you got to stop doing physical cues <laughs> in the podcast, Nina. No one knows except for me. Uh, but <laughs> it's around the time that uh, EY became their auditor that some accusations also came out that they were hiding their expenses through all those acquisitions that they were doing overseas. Uh, and that they were also purposely overvaluing their assets when they bought them. So they were they were valuing all of these companies that they were buying. They were buying them far above market value. Okay. To value them higher and to also show more like they were doing more transactions. Like they were a bigger fish than they were kind okay. of thing. For instance, the most egregious one they did and the one that people point to the most is they bought an Indian payment processing company. Uh, that had been on sale for almost two years. No one had bought it, and they kept dropping the price to as low as 20 million euros at one, port, at one point before Wirecard came in and scooped them up for the low, low price of 340 million euros. That's 320 million above the asking price. Why do they do that? Because it shows that it, like they're, they're spending more money. It looks and they're and it they're looks over better? they're overvaluing their asset. They're saying this thing we bought is worth this much. All right. So people see that and be like, "Oh man, they paid for this. There must be something good there." Well, this, that doesn't seem smart to well, me. Well, plus on later investigation, they it showed that at least 175 million of that was never even transferred to the seller. So, I don't feel bad because they still got like 130 million dollars. Or, excuse me, euros more than what they asked for. Still saying, shitty. What you complaining about, though? Here's the thing, though. They have $340 million listed as an expense on their balance sheets. But they only actually paid the person half of that. But they still spent that money. Where'd the money go? Exactly. (laughs) Where'd the money go? Uh, And they also use this technique, which is called roll-up. Uh, of acquiring all these small companies as a way to mask a, a trouble for growth organically. So they're not like actually a profitable company, but if they keep buying stuff, they keep getting bigger. 
which makes it seem like they're growing because they get business, ah. but they're not really getting business. They're just buying more companies, and those companies had some business. Got it. You know, at this time, there was also allegations. This is just a quick one uh, that Wirecard was using their online gambling transactions to help mo- the mafia launder money in Italy, and it was proved later that they were doing this. But as we learned in the Michelle Sindona episodes, go back and listen to those in uh, season one, every bank in Italy does that. So I was kind of like, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but we're in Germany. <laughs> yeah, but they operate in Italy and every bank that operates in Italy, including the Vatican Bank, all, does that shit. all launder money for the mafia because they make a lot of money doing it. Always wanted a boyfriend in the mafia. No, you don't. When I was a kid. Yeah, but you don't really. <laughs> I just wanted a fur coat, I think. Yeah, you want a fur coat and cement shoes and get, like, popped upside your head every time you speak out of line? Hey. Hey. <laughs> Domestic violence. Yeah, they do it. Uh, they do do it. And you know who else does it? A lot of people. I'll just give you a second to sit and how sad that comment was before we move on. All right. I mean, it's true. That's enough sadness. Okay. In 2018, though, uh, Wirecard's own legal team investigated claims of them uh, inflating their profits in one of their agent subsidiaries in Singapore by doing something called round tripping. And now what round tripping is, is where they send money back and forth between two companies that they own. Okay. To make it look like they're doing more business. So it's like, oh. oh, look at all the transactions we're processing, but really they're just sending money back and forth between the companies <laughs> they own. Like, look at how much money oh we're moving God. around. And That's then funny. they're like each charging each other a commission on it whenever they trade it, but it's really just going back to the same yeah. the same owners, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but it looks better. Yeah. Um, so they looked into doing that, uh, which... They were definitely doing. They found out later, but they sent their own legal team to look into it because that's what all companies do when they get discovered right. doing something. Yeah. They're just like, oh, yeah, we'll check on it. We would have no idea about that. Though. I don't know about that. If someone did that, it must be a malicious actor. It's like one guy in the financial department who's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send money to our Indian company 500 times and then back and forth. It'll be really, it's what I do on Thursday for fun. I mean, it probably was what somebody did on Thursday. Yeah, but not for fun. They were told no, to they do were it. told to do it. <laughs> uh, and at this point, I would like to introduce Baffin, uh, which is not a, uh, like, sci-fi evil overlord, which Baffin would be a really good name for. Uh, I feel like Baffin could be so many different things. Baffin. Uh, No, it's actually the regulatory agency for finances in Germany. Equally as scary. Which, it stands for something really long. Look it up. I didn't write it, and I will not try and say it because I don't want to embarrass myself today. Any more than I already have. Says the man in a fucking Marvel shirt and a Cubs hat. Um, I'm geek chic. Geek chic. Yeah. Being a nerd is... With the height of the Marvel movies, being a nerd's now popular, so you're actually the weird one. Okay, that's fine. All right. I'll be the weird one. Okay. So Baffin is to Germany what the SEC is in America. Uh, and you're probably expecting this agency... Once they got wind of some of these shady things to jump in and provide justice. But what happened was the exact opposite. Uh, the first time someone questioned the legitimacy of profit numbers coming from Wirecard's Asian market in 2015, Baffin not only did nothing to Wirecard, but launched an investigation into the journalists that recommended <laughs> that recommended this to them because they thought they were shorting Wirecard stock and doing market manipulation because of it. So this is going to become an oncoming theme for the rest 
of this section. Every time Wirecard gets criticized for anything they do uh, by any financial journalism or financial journalists at large, they immediately say that they are in cahoots with short sellers and trying to manipulate the market. And for a refresher, we've talked about short selling before, but a short seller is someone who borrows stock and sells it, betting that the price of the stock will go down so they can buy it back at a cheaper price, return the stock to the lender, and keep the rest as a profit. It's why a bunch of hedge funds were destroyed by GameStop. <laughs> because they saw all these hedge funds short-selling GameStop, and then everyone bought it to get the price to go up. So they have to sell it at a certain date so that they can give it back to whoever lent them the stock. Okay. Um, so they have to buy it at just whatever the market price is. If it goes down, they they uh, buy it for less than what they sold it for, profit. If Got it, goes it up, they buy it at way more than what they sold it for, loss kind of thing. So every time that Wirecard gets accused of doing something, they immediately say, these people are trying to basically do a, a, a witch hunt against us to get our stock market to fall so that they can manipulate the market and, and short sell our stock. Got it. Um, that's just kind of shit, though. It's just it worked uh, because Baffin also did that the first time. They were like, yeah, we're going to investigate them for market manipulation instead of you. So instead of taking any regulatory action against Wirecard, Baffin instead turned the heat on the people working to expose all of the accounting fraud that they were doing. Of course they did. So that leads us to the big one. Uh, So as mentioned before, almost 50% of Wirecard's business was from their Asian market. Uh, The only problem was that getting a license to carry out financial transactions in so many countries is a lengthy and difficult process. This is why Wirecard bought all of these smaller payment processor companies throughout Asia who already had the license. So Wirecard doesn't have to get the license in all these countries. They just buy things that already do. So when they would get a transaction in one of these countries, Wirecard would refer it to the smaller company that they owned in the area who had the license to process the transaction, and then they reap a commission on that transaction. So this showed up as an insane amount of money on their balance sheet. They said that they made around 2.1 billion euros on these uh, commissions alone uh, that they claimed as profits. But they realized that there was no actual cash being deposited from these transactions in their Munich bank account. So they reported that they're getting this money. But yeah, but they're not getting it. It's not coming into their bank account. So Wirecard said to Ernst & Young that, oh, hey, no, they're actually in an escrow account in Singapore waiting to get released as, at a later date. Because what an escrow account is, is just like you put large sums of money into it until something is like a, what was the exact definition? A requirement is met. Okay. And then you get the money. A lot of the times these are used when you buy a house. Yes. It goes into escrow. Yes. Which is where you put the money into an escrow account showing that you'll pay you'll for pay it for if this. everything goes through. And it kind of ensures a peace of mind between both the buyer and the seller. Yes. Um, that it's like, okay, the money's up, but you don't get it yet until I get the product. Right. But I but the seller also knows you have the money to do it in the first mm-hmm. place. Um so they were saying that uh it was in that. Which is a weird thing to do, but technically not against any accounting regulations, Mm -hmm. as long as they could verify that, one, the money actually exists in that escrow account, and that, two, it belongs to Wirecard. Right, but they didn't have an escrow account, right? Or did they make that? Did they make up that they had an escrow account, or did they have the escrow account? I guess we'll find out. Bum, bum, bum! (laughs) Uh, 
because the money didn't exist and it was fake. <laughs> they they literally only did it to pump their profit numbers because at the same time they weren't making a lot of money in the Asian market and their uh, profits in the European market were also overreported. Oh, okay. So they weren't actually a profitable company. <laughs> Not at all. They just lied about everything. They literally lied that they had money and kept going. With and it. people were like, "Ah, oh, yes, because, they have money <laughs> because they were rich. They just kept buying stuff." Um, so after catching wind of this, uh, someone actually tipped uh, the Financial Times off uh, about that internal Singapore investigation over the uh, sending the money back and forth between yeah. their their yeah. their own companies, and they started investigating it. And found this, and then the Financial Times published a multi-part video expose on Wirecard called House of Wirecards. After uh, Financial Times got wind of this, they started their own investigation. And at one, and they started that expose. Uh, at one point, they actually took a trip to Singapore to visit one of the offices of the transaction companies owned by Wirecard that was processing a lot of their transactions. When they arrived... To the address, they found that it was a house that shared space with a bus depot. It was like a house on one side and a bus depot on the other side, and they were connected. Uh, and when they knocked on the door, they found a retired fisherman <laughs> living with his family who was amused that they thought his home was the base for an international financial institution. <laughs> it's it's like when the, um, oh shit, what episode was it? Was it Jack Abramoff when the guy was like, I'm not even fit to run a Dunkin' Donuts. Yes. It's it's like this. They, put, like, him, they put him in charge of like, um, like a holdings company. Like yeah, a but it, that's company. how it feels. Like this guy is. He's like <laughs> cute. <laughs> You're like, I don't know what that is. They they literally just is. wrote down a fake address. The whole thing was fake. I can't believe it. Um. So after this expose, Wirecard immediately sued the Financial <laughs> Times, and Baffin once again, even after all that, took the side of Wirecard as they accused the Financial Times of dealing with short sellers. And Baffin imposed something that they had never done before, a single-stock short-selling restriction that prohibited anyone from using Wirecard stock for short-sell transactions. So they sided with them so much, they banned even being able to short-sell with Wirecard stock. You can't do Whoa. it. Whoa. And no one has ever done that in like any that just market. That just makes me feel like somebody at Baffin had a lot of money in Wirecard that they... See, that's the thing. Wirecard was such a big company mm -hmm. in Germany that most politicians held money. Right. So Wirecard. that's not shocking that that happened because they're like, well, I'm going to lose all my money if this happens. Exactly. So. So it's just so egregious, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and these accusations that they were um, that Financial Times, which is an American based uh, newspaper, by the way. Um, was involved with short sellers, was backed by Wirecard, who hired a private investigation company led by none other than the ex-head of the Libyan intelligence agency, who was even an interim president for Libya after Gaddafi was killed. So it's led by what? that guy, this private investigation firm that they, uh, that they uh, contracted. This just feels very random. It's just, I mean, that was a very bloodthirsty regime, I think is the thing. Yeah. So he's like not a good guy. Yeah. And then they hired his company to do the following to uh, journalists from the Financial Times. They straight up followed reporters around and took pictures of them. The pictures surfaced later that they were following them, taking pictures of them on the like train stations and stuff. Yeah, they uh, were discovered with listening devices trained on the headquarters for the Financial Times, like pointed at the at the CEO's like... Uh, office they found them like under a bridge 
doing that. Um, they hacked into the reporters' emails to read what they were talking about the company, uh, and they even sent them phishing emails to try and get them to give up their information. So not about fish. No. Fishing spelled with a PH. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my God. Not about fish. They weren't talking about bass and salmon. Are you are you going down to the lake on Saturday, hey, Greg? Hey, did you see that catfish? There's just an ex-Libyan uh, dictator like, what the fuck? <laughs> this isn't what I was looking, <laughs> for, at I was looking for at all. This sucks. Uh, now, this, this may seem kind of extreme, but like I mentioned earlier, Wirecard was such a big business uh, in Germany that Angela Merkel herself went to China to lobby uh, the Chinese government to invest in it in like German Whoa. in German Chinese oh, financial shit, relations, dude. Oops. So this is big. Yeah. This is like this is like Enron, but if Enron was like German. lobbied for by George Bush, which they did I mean, have a close, they did have a close relation, but imagine if George Bush like went to Canada to talk to whoever the Justin Trudeau of the time was. I was a kid, I so don't I don't know. remember. I have no idea. It was like you guys should invest in Enron. <laughs> That's that's this. Oops. Uh-huh. I bet, she's she's still the pres- is she still the prime minister? Yes. This this happened. This is all happening in like 2018. Yeah, I just didn't know if she was still the prime minister. I couldn't remember. She is still the prime minister. So, you know, it's big. Mm-hmm. Uh so finally in 2020, due to mounting pressure from shareholders, Ernst and Young said that they would not sign on Wirecard's balance sheets unless they provide them with further documentation for the escrow accounts. Uh, which, obviously, if your external auditor won't sign on your balance sheets at the end of the year, that is a death sentence for a public company. Yeah, that's not good. You are not... It's not going to go well. No. Uh, so Wirecard hired a uh, special audit committee from something called KPMG, who through another investigation supported all of the claims brought against Wirecard by Ernst & Young and the uh, Financial Times, saying that there were too many hurdles to be able to perform their audit correctly. So a fancy way of saying, yeah, something's wrong, so we can't actually complete an audit on this company. Eek. So this finally led to Wirecard having to come clean. And in a public address... They said that the 2.1 billion euros that were contained in the escrow account were probably never even ah, real. Oops. And that it was just one big lie. They referenced it saying that it is, he said, uh, Dr. Marcus Brown in his very German accent it was like, uh, it is possible that Wirecard has been the victim of widespread fraud. It was a bad. Accent. I was gonna I say I don't it. know what that was accent like, was. It was Indian for the first part, and then I couldn't get back into it. Blames. And it and it was discovered later uh, that the largest Singapore banks for which the accounts were supposed to be held had actually never even done any business with Wirecard in the first place. Oh my god! So not only did the two point one billion euros not exist, but the escrow accounts never existed either. It was all fake. So they falsely inflated their profits from their Asian market by two point one billion dollars doing this. So the whole thing's just a lie. And they did it for a long time. Like a really long time. And Ernst and Young just like never really didn't, you know, look into it too much. They were like, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. That's probably right. Yeah. That's the thing with these companies, man. They get so big that when something comes across that looks kind of fishy or wrong, mm-hmm. people just don't question it because they're like, oh, well, they're big. They know what they're doing. I'm sure that this couldn't be something shady. And what we've learned 
is that quite frequently it's something shady. It's always shady, man. It always is. Just look into it, man. So in June of 2020, shortly after announcing publicly that they had lied about billions of euros, the entire executive team at Wirecard was fired and their offices were raided by German police. The Gestapo. No. <laughs> no, they weren't the Gestapo, which was literally just a band of roving serial killers that used to go around killing people. That was, but that was, that was Germany, right? Or no? Yes. Okay. The Gestapo was like the highest rank in Hitler's army. That yeah. would literally just right. go around killing people. They were raided by the Gestapo. Oh my God. I can't believe you doubled down. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> hours after being fired, uh, CEO Dr. Marcus Brown was arrested while the COO, Jan Marsalek, boarded a plane to Minsk, Minsk, whatever, uh, and lives as a fugitive on the lamb to this day. What? He, this was in June of 2020, and he has not been caught. <gasps> he is believed to be hiding in Belarus under protection of the Russian government. I don't, I don't know exactly why. They're not releasing, obviously, a lot of information about this. I'm but, shook. But if he's under protection of the Russian government, something is going on. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty shady. I'm picking up real really sketch, sketch vibes. vibes. Uh, and Interpol has issued a red notice for Marcelic, which is a request for worldwide law enforcement to arrest him on site until he faces extradition. So he's still he's still out there. That's insane. It's almost been a year. Yeah. And there's these big posters that are like, these What's this digital posters like? that are, they put a beard on him. They're like everywhere in Germany and Europe. He's like, he's real. he's a wanted fugitive. So that is kind of the fallout for the, um, I just can't believe it. I, I'm like shook that this man's on the lamb. Yep. He's still out there. Who knows? If Do you know how stressful that would be to be running from the police all the time? Yeah. It's like Edward Snowden, bro. Thought you were going to say Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. It's like Edward Scissorhands, man. I mean, he was kind of on the run for Ostracized because of his fucking Scissorhands. Man. Like, it's not his fault that you had a waterbed. He's never seen one before. That's right. I forgot about that. He didn't need to poke the holes in it. Why did everyone want to fuck him? Because he had single, scissor hands. Every single woman in that movie wanted to fuck Edward Scissorhands, and it was awkward. Free haircut, baby. So, uh, Wirecard uh, stock being listed in the DAX means that it was included in many pension accounts and now has stockholders reeling in their losses. The most extreme of which uh, was in one of the longer videos I watched. They uh, had a fisherman who was retired and had invested his whole no. life savings in Wirecard, 72,000 euros, and uh, lost it all to come out of retirement to survive. <sighs> there, the Wirecard stock dropped in a week uh, from 98 euros a share to less than three euros in a week. Dude. Uh, and all their creditors came out, obviously, because if your stock drops... 95% and you have and you're all of your executives are firing and you're embroiled in one of the largest financial scandals ever all of your creditors come like okay we're gonna need that money back yep please so they also filed for insolvency which is basically bankruptcy it's just it's where you file like I can't pay for my debts damn so the most advanced of which was that guy 72,000 euros that's so which, sad this being said that's really fucking stupid yeah. if you're investing money especially for retirement uh, I don't know that much about 
investments, even though we we do this podcast, I do learn like more and more every week. But one thing I do know is that if you're investing for retirement, you invested in mutual funds because mutual funds diversify your right. Your assets yeah, you don't want all your money in one spot. Don't that's put all not your smart. eggs in one basket because this happens. Yeah, that's so, really. I, but it's still yeah. it's sad though. Yeah, like I feel bad for the guy, but he he invested a large sum of money. And obviously just did like no research. Right. It was a gamble at that point and he lost hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, Ernst and Young will most likely also be the target of a uh, class action lawsuit uh, and have to provide some sort of settlement to the stockholders of uh, Wirecard just because they did sign off on all of their budget sheets. So they will, they'll, they'll get sued. They'll have to pay it. But I think with how they handled it at the end, I think they just missed it. Honestly, I don't think it was like uh, Enron's external auditor where they were being paid and then they shredded all the documents before right. it came. I don't think it's like that. So I think Ernst & Young is still going to be around and this isn't going to ruin their reputation, especially because at the end they said like, okay, no, you need to provide some more documentation for us to sign off on this. Yeah. And they were kind of the ones that led to their downfall, even yeah. though they let it go on for so long, which don't right. get me wrong, is still bad. Yeah. But, you know, I think they'll still be around. And then uh, Marcus Braun... Uh, still awaits trial and punishment. I think they might still be waiting to if they can get Jan. Because I think they'd want to try them together. Yeah. Except for I think in Germany you can be uh you can be tried oh, uh, in absentia. That's yes. what it is. I think they can do that. We you, that's not something we have in America, but right. I think in Germany you can have a trial in absentia. So yeah, they're one of the largest companies in Germany just gone. Gone. And recently. Yeah. Like I said, this is like within this last is less year. than a year ago. Yeah. It'll be a year and a month. It's crazy. That they really got outed for this. So Jan Marshalek still lives as a free man to this day. But many hurt by Wirecard's accounting scandal now live indentured to life itself. Those who lost retirement savings, those who lost their livelihood, now have to work longer and harder in hopes of having money for their final years. Wirecard shows us as all of the other accounting scandals that we have covered here on White Collars, Red Hands, that we must be persistent and vigilant in regulation of companies because given an inch, they will take a mile to make a buck. We are slightly lucky here because as a result to this scandal, Germany is restructuring Baffin and cracking down more on financial crimes. But if we don't keep grappling with the greed inherent in capitalist systems, the famous bull on Wall Street will not represent an economy standing staunch against all odds, but rather a bully who exploits those less fortunate in the names of greed, power, and funding transactions on porn sites. So that's it for this week. Uh, Another big corporate scandal. You know, I think this is a first. This is the first person who, like, has been on the run. Yeah, uh, I think... I mean, like, that hasn't been caught. I th- this must be a very German thing, because the Volkswagen guy also tried to run, if you remember, but he got caught coming back in America That's right. on a transfer. And then also all those Nazis went to Argentina, so it's just like a German thing. Yeah, they just go. <laughs> to just run away when you're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Yeah. So, the, yeah, this is definitely the first one we have. This is also one of the first ones where... It's they, been this they, recent. They, they've, they've, been erect, they've been arrested, but not convicted yet. Yeah. So we know they did it. I mean, it's, oh, it's very, very blatantly obvious. obvious. Yeah. We know they did it. We're just waiting for them to actually get 
served, as it were. I have such bad anxiety. I could never run from the government like that. Yeah, no, I just give up. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll wrap it up. I hope you guys liked this topic as much as I do find uh, corporate fraud pretty interesting. This one was more interesting than telecom. Not telecom, WorldCom. WorldCom. Yeah, it. it I I kind of liked it, especially because you know there's an international fugitive now. That's kind of cool. yeah, that's kind of cool because it's in a different country, so we got to kind of learn a little yeah. bit about about the German economy. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I'm sure that if you guys have listened this far, you're at least a little bit interested in this stuff. Yeah. So uh, we're we're happy you're here to listen. Uh, if you did like what you heard today, um, you can always support us by uh, commenting on the episode, depending on where you listen, uh, sharing it on any sort of platform, rating it or reviewing it if that's an uh, option on your listening platform and we do know that 80% of you right now our analytics show are listening on iTunes so if you could please stop by and drop us a review there a good review on iTunes is a very important thing to getting to more listeners Mm -hmm. and uh, sharing our message uh, which is, you know, you know, I, I want to say this is, a, you know, there, there is some, there is a reason. There is a, yeah, yeah, this. yeah, yeah. I'm not like, we're not a cult. I was going to say, I'm all on the street giving out pamphlets we're about cults. white collar crime. But we are, you know, this is, this serves a purpose. Yes, absolutely. It's interesting and serves a purpose. Yeah. Um, so we would love to get a better, uh, rating on there. So if you could stop by, leave us a review. We love a five star review, but if you also leave us, uh, a review that has some uh, suggestions on how to improve. We will always take those as well. Uh, you can find us on social media, facebook.com slash white collars, red hands, or at Twitter at white collars pod. <laughs> the Instagram is at white collars underscore red hands. Or you can listen directly at our website or read our bios if you really want to. Uh, see at, my sexy okay, headshot. And see my not so sexy picture of me uh, partly shirtless on a beach. Yeah, I don't know why you picked that. Because I wanted it to represent me. I didn't want to just have a headshot. That's boring. Uh, But that (laughs) domain is whitecollarsredhands.com. You can also email us either just to connect. I'm open for a discussion. Yeah. uh, Or make suggestions. Uh, Next week is actually another fan-submitted episode. So if you want to hear your topic done, like what next week is going to be, then go ahead and message us at whitecollarsredhands at gmail.com. And that's how we'll reach out and we might use what you say. Uh, other than that, I think that's all I have. Is that all you got, Nina? Um, no, I just opened Facebook and this girl from high school named her son jo- Dodger. Go LA Dodgers. What the heck? Well, we'll see you on another Dodger. episode next week on White Collars <laughs> Red, Red Hands. I don't know why I opened Facebook. I just did. And then I was like, Dodger James. I love your mic up, so they're just going to hear this for the outro. James is my first name. Okay, but your middle name's not Dodger.